0: Dave was a bit nervous this week and actually asked me if I put the effort into to actually write my sentences out, what I'm about to say, or if I just prepared in dot points. But I've done my homework, Dave. So here we are. Talk to him later. Um, yeah, For those of you who haven't been here in the last few weeks, we are coming to an end of a series that we call The Cycle of a Disciple. And Dave talked the last four weeks about how we actually need to belong in order to believe and then we become the people God created us to be and if we are these people God created us to be we can't actually help it but build the kingdom of God and so Dave talked last week about how we can build the kingdom of God outside the church and today is all about how we can build the kingdom of God inside the church and yeah so before we get started let's just pray Jesus God I thank you Lord I thank you that you are our Savior and just the last song was just so powerful, Lord. You just won the victory. And we just praise you for this, Lord. Jesus, as Robin and I just bring your word this morning, I pray that you help us to get completely out of the way. And may your spirit just please be here today. Amen. Amen. So when Robin and I sat down, we had a good evening together with Rebecca at Robin's house. And we just discussed a few things how we bring this message across. One very important point we came down to is that we um, need to actually be living as forgiven people. So we need to know who we are in Christ so that we can actually love the way that God has commanded us to love others. As a little girl, when I grew up in Germany, it didn't take me a very long time to figure out that the history of our country isn't probably the best. So in every single subject at school, we were told about World War I and World War II and the Holocaust. And, um, yeah, whatever we were doing, it was pretty much shaped my upbringing. Our grandparents, they sometimes opened up, they were teenagers at the time. Sometimes they just really struggled way too much to talk about it because they were so ashamed of what happened. And when I then, for the first time in my life, moved overseas and people asked me, so where are you from, that actually hit me. And I felt almost quite embarrassed and ashamed to, to say that I'm from Germany. And I noticed that only when I, when I moved really overseas. And I guess we heard this story over and over again, and we had to visit those concentration camps and everything, simply because that the hope is that this part of history would just never be repeated again. So just after Josh and I got married, we had the privilege to fly to Israel and we served there for an organization. And part of our trip in the beginning was that we visited Yad Vashem. And Yad Vashem is the biggest Jewish memorial center in the world. So walking in there, it was just covered with pictures all over the wall, um, items of the little teddy bears of children, um, just a great documentation of what actually happened. And Obviously, the memorial sites. And as a German walking through it, all these feelings just hit me back hard. Like, I was ashamed. I, was, I, was, I felt guilty. I felt so sorry for what happened. And I walked through it, and I couldn't even speak. Like, I was embarrassed to speak my own language. So, I just didn't. I just didn't talk. And in this evening, we then, um, yeah, I had another privilege to actually meet people, born-again believers, who born again, Jewish Holocaust survivors, I should say. And as we were talking, and there was one man, and his name was Israel. And Israel and I, we chatted a bit, and then Israel rolled up his sleeves like this, and then he said, Leona, can you see this number? This has been my identity in Auschwitz concentration camp. So Israel's upbringing is German, so we spoke in German. He is a German-Jewish person. And he was actually on one of the very first boats entering the country of Israel. So when I looked at him and, yeah, he just showed me the number, I actually really teared up and I could only whisper, I'm so sorry. And then Israel said something to me that I will never forget in my life. He said, Leona, the German people and the nation of Germany needs to learn and to start to forgive yourself in order to move forward as a country and a nation. We Jewish people have forgiven you a long time ago. Yeah, this was probably a moment in my life where I just really felt loved and, and forgiven on a human level without feeling that I actually deserved it or that our country deserved it because what good did we do in all of this? But this man told me something that was very powerful in my life. He told me that as believers in Jesus, we have so many powerful weapons we can, we can use in this world. And some of these powerful weapons is actually forgiveness and love. So is it always easy to forgive? No, absolutely not. And do you think it was easy for Jesus? Sometimes I think we just put Jesus up, always just up high. But in this world here, Jesus was 100% human as he was 100% God. So he went through emotions and and feelings and the hardship and so on. He lived his life where people around him constantly just judged him and criticized him for what he was doing. One of his best friends just rejected him three times before he actually went on the cross and got crucified. Did Jesus have to live forgiveness in hard times? I would say absolutely yes to that one. I think when Jesus um, hung on the cross and the soldiers crucified him, his last sentence was, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. I think forgiveness was a vital part in Jesus' ministry. It says in John 3.17 that Jesus didn't come to condemn, but to save. God showed showed us how we can live his kingdom here in this world with love and forgiveness. And he said and he commanded that we would do the same, that we would go out and that we would live like he did, that we would be forgiving and loving people in this world. Because what happens if you do not forgive? What's the opposite? I think we will keep on judging ourselves and the other person. I think we will continue to blame, to accuse, to resent. And the outcome would be that bitterness is just part of our lives, which is the opposite of God's kingdom. And it also doesn't help us to actually live out what we are meant to live out. So Jesus being holy, I don't think this could have been part of his life. So it wasn't. So he just kept on forgiving. He kept on loving. And it should be part of our lives as well. If God calls us to forgive, also inside this church here, this says more and speaks more than a thousand words. And it also does two things. It keeps us blameless before our Lord or Savior. And it also bonds the enemy. And this is something I think that is really close to Robin in my heart. Like we always pray that the enemy just has no room and will never have any room inside this church. And if we are forgiving people, if we keep on loving and if we keep things open and don't give the enemy any room inside this church, we are actually building God's kingdom. Hmm. So the other thing the story taught me as well is that Just the fact that how powerful love and acceptance can be. In Mark 12, 30 to 31, it says that Jesus commanded us to love God and our neighbor. In John 13, 35, it says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, Robin quoted it before, if you love one another. By this people will know that we are his disciples. And this is exactly what I felt with Israel. On a human human level, um, it just didn't make any sense for him. For a German-Jewish Holocaust survivor who was that close to death, he told us his testimony. He only found a bag of sugar that he kept under his pillow and had one spoon of sugar for weeks before the English came. He had no reason to just, in, in human perspective, to just forgive. But why could he do it? Because he is actually, he met Jesus and he started believing in Jesus and he opened up his life so Jesus can actually change his life and through the change and the presence in Jesus' life he then was willing and able to accept and love others in a way that is probably humanly not possible. So who are we in Jesus Christ? I just want to read a few Bible verses. So I am holy and without blame before him in love. Just let it sing in right now. The Spirit of God, who is greater than the enemy in this world, lives in me. I have received the power of the Holy Spirit, and he can do miraculous things through me. I have authority and power over the enemy in this world. I am merciful, I do not judge others, and I forgive quickly. As I do this by God's grace, he blesses my life. I am chosen by God who called me out of the darkness of sin and into the light and life of Christ, so I can proclaim the excellence and greatness of who he is. When I know who I am in Christ, and when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I think I cannot do any other thing than actually have a heart for the church of God, because God's heart is for his people. And if we keep on loving and forgiving, I actually think we are building this church, We are building his kingdom in this world. So let's just do that.
1: Thank you for that, Leona. And as we love people in the power of the spirit, as Leona has said, that's how we build the kingdom of God. And there's a word that describes the kingdom of God. And it's the word shalom. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say shalom to you. Say, Say it again. Good. Now I'll explain what you've said to the person next to you. Shalom is a word that uh, is often translated just simply peace, <coughs> excuse me, in our English translations. But shalom has far more depth than that in terms of what God's heart is. And when um, Jesus was promised to come as the Messiah, he was going to bring shalom and wholeness uh, to the Jewish people and uh, to the world. And shalom is a key word in uh, that describes the salvation that God wants to bring in all of our lives. It's a Hebrew word that refers most commonly uh, to a person being uninjured and safe and whole and sound in every way and every aspect of the being, in the, in, our, in our beings. And in the New Testament, shalom is revealed as the reconciliation of all things to God, where all things are in harmony as God intended. And in Colossians 1:19 and 20, it says, "God was pleased through Christ." to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through Christ's blood shed on the cross. And we're going to share communion a little later in the service. And Shalom, when it's experienced in our lives, is multidimensional and um, uh, complete uh, of our whole being, physical, psychological, social and spiritual. It flows from all of one's relationships, being put right with God, within your own heart, and with your brothers and sisters, and with those in the world. Biblically, shalom is about peace and wholeness with God, other people, creation, and within yourself. And so we might well ask, and Leona's already pointed in the direction that, that shalom, that wholeness, that completeness that God wants for you, for the church. For all of the world uh, begins in your heart as we love in the power of the Spirit. There's a great example of what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we love in the way uh, that God intended when he sent Jesus to the cross to give his life for us. In Acts 2, verse 42 to 47, very familiar words to some of you, I'm sure. One of the passages I love so much, I'm going to read it to you now. This is what happened when people were loving one another in the power of the Spirit. And it says, starting at verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done among the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all people in the community. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. And when the Spirit is at work, we see within those dynamics of what happened uh, on that Pentecost Day where God's Spirit came upon people and the grace and the love of God began to be manifest in their lives and in their church. There's two, and just to help us think about this and how we function of a church, there was reactive love and care and focus on others. There was also proactive love. And for a, the first thing I'm going to mention that draw attention to is the reactive love and care where you see someone in crisis might be practically, it might be emotionally, it might be relationally, it might be in whatever way they are in some crisis, maybe spiritually in their relationship with God, reactive care responds to that, love responds to that. We can't say we love God and not respond to that. And in this passage, we will see that in the early church, when people loved one another in the power of the Spirit, They shared with those in need. Some even sold their homes to give to others in need. Uh, There was nobody that would have been lacking in the life of that church. They readily lent things to each other. They didn't they considered whatever they had as, as having it in common. They shared readily with each other. They prayed for each other. They saw miracles happen as they responded in prayer, part of reactive care, where you react and do what needs to be done in a loving and caring way uh, to, to, to bring God's presence and help and your presence and help to them. And they shared meals with each other. They responded and just cared for each other. And Leona's going to talk about just what that might mean for us.
0: Yeah, so how are we doing this at Hills Baptist here? We were just sitting down, we were reflecting a bit on how yeah, how we live our reactive care. So some, some people are already in a life group, others are not. Um, I think life group is a massive part of that area here in our church. So life groups do meals also for people in need. If someone within your life group is struggling, the life group usually picks up the game, and looks after them. Um, youth group cleans up people's yards. Hammer and Saws goes out and helps the elderly and people um, who just need practical help in our community. The elders go out and pray for people who are sick. We visit people in hospitals, we send cards, and um, we also pray for one another. So that's just a few examples of what we are doing in that reactive care.
1: happen. It's just <laughs> a small foretaste of what uh, God can do as, he, as we begin to allow God's Spirit to guide us more and more in the, in the days ahead. The second area of care, not only reacting to situations, whether spiritual, emotional, practical, whatever, but in the power of the Spirit, we proactively care. And that's like preventative maintenance. I'm always slow to do that. I think every, my car's running fine. I don't need to service it. I'll wait till something breaks down. Not a good idea particularly where I used to fly planes, same thing, if you don't do your preventive maintenance, serious problem. Same in the church, if we don't do proactive care, preventative maintenance, love one another in the power of the Spirit and do the things that help prevent a crisis, then we are failing as a church. The shalom, the wholeness, the fullness of what God wants for us, we'll never have it perfectly until Christ comes again. But in what we can do, then we need to care proactively and do things that will prevent a crisis, strengthen people before a crisis happens, whether spiritually, in their faith, in their understanding of God, in in practical ways, resourcing, emotional support, things like Christian counselling and different things. But in the Acts, we see um, that this kind of proactive care was happening. To build the kingdom, we've got to do the preventative maintenance, do in the life of the church the things that will build the body and build the individual so that they handle a crisis. They, in Acts 2, they were committed to meeting together, they met in each other's homes, they were already in relationship with one another before a crisis happened. They daily shared meals and communion in each other's homes, breaking bread, reminding them of what Christ had done, strengthening their faith and awareness of who God is and what he has done for them. They constantly reminded themselves of the forgiveness they had in Christ and of being God's children, and they studied God's word together, uh, building each other up in the faith so that when a crisis of faith hits, you've got resources and understanding of the promises of God. And uh, and uh, that's what we see in the book of Acts. They prayed together and they prayed for each other Um not just in response to a crisis, but for what God might want to do in their midst. And they gathered in the temple courts as a larger community to celebrate and to proclaim the gospel and to encourage one another and to inspire one another. So all that proactive care, proactive love, proactive preventative maintenance, preparing people for what life might throw at them.
0: Thanks, <laughs> um, I'm Actually, I was excited to see when we explored this Bible passage how we are already doing this in this church, but I was also Encouraged to actually explore this a lot further. So here's a few things what we are doing um, In that area of care we are like we just dedicated a beautiful Amalia this morning Like this is is part of it baby dedication like we as a community We say we care for her before she has a crisis, you know, like we, we as a family. We we are in this together We have life groups who study the Word of God and pray together and Robin also told me that I should make the side comment that he's very happy for you guys to do communion together within your life groups too. don't <laughs> need <laughs> Now, we have intercessory prayer groups. So for this, actually, we have a prayer box, and the prayer box is outside on the welcome desk. If you have a prayer request, a need, a word of encouragement, whatever this may be, please feel free to write out this piece of paper and put that in the prayer box, and we will make sure the prayer teams pray for you during the week. We have discipleship classes coming up next week with John Smith. We have worship, we have men's and women's ministry. We are equipping and teaching children in the Word of God. How powerful is that on its own? There is an area as well that we would really like to explore further, and this is to um, equip us as a community to be, yeah, I guess to be more equipped when people are actually in a really difficult time. And we are at the moment looking at running more workshops or seminars in the evening on different topics, let it be mental health or family relationships or all of these sorts. Um, yeah, so that's definitely something we are exploring at the moment, and. If you have any more ideas in terms of how we can care better for each other, um, please feel free to let Robin and I know.
1: You'll notice in the book of Acts, there was more proactive care than reactive care. And the more you do proactive care, you will never stop the need for proactive care, but you minimize the the crises and people's health. But the summary thing of all this uh, is when we see in the book of Acts and in the life of Jesus is that the love, the care, the response to people was holistic. It was body, mind, and spirit, and that uh, all are equally important uh, in the life of the church. There's been a heresy began in the early church. that's only the spirit that matters and your spirit and God's spirit and to the point where all different degrees of it to the point of where your body is evil and it doesn't matter what you do in your body and they would justify sin and all sorts of things while they thought they were loved in God and they probably had great worship times thinking they were connected with God and then they could do what they like in their body. That's the ultimate expression of that. But the care that was given, the response that Jesus gave to people was in body, uh, mind and spirit. He cared, Jesus cared for people physically, fed the 5,000, he healed their bodies, he challenged people to care for the needs of the poor and those in need, he cared for people emotionally, he listened to the woman who had five uh, relationships and the person she was married to wasn't her husband, probably felt ashamed and isolated and all sorts of things in the community. He gave her time, he listened to her, he ministered to her as a whole person as he spoke the truth uh, to her. He cared for the spirit and the soul He came with grace and forgiveness for all people, offering God's grace and love, that our heart and our soul and our whole being and our whole body can be restored to a relationship with God. And so as we care for people, as a church, we are committed to holistic care. We don't want to just minister to the spirit We don't want to just minister to the practical needs. We want to minister to body, soul and spirit, the emotional needs of people, as well as the spirit and the mind and the heart and all aspects of how God has created us.
0: Yeah, so as a church, we really try to cover through our proactive and reactive care the whole holistic approach right now. Here's just a really brief summary for how we are doing this. So for the practical and material needs, for example, we provide meals for people and to do jobs around their homes. For the soul and the emotional well-being, we are working close with LifeWell, which is also um, really interlinked with the Ministry of Mount Barca Baptist, and we transfer to Christian counselors. For the spirit, we share Christ with people. We run Alpha, we share testimonies, we preach and we teach. And I'm always so, exciting to meet, uh, so excited to just meet so many people here in our church who just have such a heart for Jesus. You know, and if we... Just share our faith on a daily basis wherever we are. Work, school, wherever. You know, we are doing this care. So as we finish up this morning and Robin will lead us in communion, I just would really like to encourage all of us um, to ask God where you're at in your life if it comes down to forgiveness and if it comes down to loving one another. So we need to know who we are in Jesus and maybe this morning you would actually really like to meet him on a deeper level again, or receive prayer over your life, or, or get words spoken over you. I don't know, but I would really like to encourage you then to come to the front during the last song as well. And we also need to love others by the power of the Holy Spirit and by using the gifts God has given us. If you've just been sitting here this morning, in any of the ministries we just mentioned we actually... I don't know, are in your interests. then please feel free to also talk to us later. I come to Rob Moore, myself, or any of the other leaders, and we are more than happy to give you all the information needed um, to be in touch with the, with the team leaders of this. In John thirteen thirty five, it says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. I just really pray that we are a church that reflects God's presence in this world. That's my deepest, deepest prayer. And I also pray that when the final day comes and we are all standing in front of his throne, that Jesus will say to us, good and faithful servant, come on in. That's my prayer. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you, Leona. And Leona's our pastoral care uh, leader in the church. I like to call her our pastoral care pastor, but she's... uh, (laughs) The contact for the pastoral care ministries, there's a whole lot of different things that are happening. And as we let God's word and God's spirit challenge us this morning about what God's saying to you, that Leona has brought that challenge, we're going to come to a time to focus on communion, because the whole purpose of God in Christ was to come and give himself that shalom and wholeness in all of life could be set in motion in our hearts and in the church and in the world. And as we uh, come to reflect on communion this morning, in the context of what we've looked at, where God's kingdom is the evidence of God's presence in the world, the God's shalom and wholeness, not meaning everybody's healed and everybody's wonderful uh, and uh, dancing in the aisles at this point in time, but there's a wholeness that God is bringing into our lives because of the cross. Then, as we come around communion, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul had to rebuke the Corinthian people because the kingdom of God wasn't being expressed in the way they were coming together to break bread and to share together. And uh, we read uh, Paul's stern rebuke of the people for what they were doing, who claimed to be God's people, but were ignoring those in need in their midst as they gathered for the Lord's cup Supper. Let me read. If you have your Bibles, it won't be on the screen. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, where... Paul rebukes them for abusing the Lord's Supper. It says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, It is not the Lord's Supper you are eating, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in uh, in this matter. And then Paul goes on to say, So he gives the words of institution about the Lord's Supper, which I'll read in a moment. Um, And uh, Paul uh, went on to say, for a Uh, let me me read this. So then, whoever eats and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of Christ. It's not talking about you reflecting in your heart, did I have a lustful thought on the way to the church? Did I swear this morning? Did I have an argument with my wife? And repenting of those things, certainly do all that. But Paul here isn't saying, examine your little heart and make that the primary focus. He's saying, look at yourselves as a body of Christ. Are you reflecting the kingdom of God? Is what you're doing when you come together evidence of God's shalom and wholeness and care for one another that He intended? And everyone ought to examine ourselves before they eat and drink the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Pretty serious stuff. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be uh, finally condemned with the world. We need to ask ourselves as a church, in what ways are we not reflecting the kingdom of God when we come to communion? Ask ourselves, what aspects of God's kingdom, love, care, support, mercy, kindness, prayer, um, how we speak about issues in the wider world, in what aspects of God's kingdom are uh, are lacking uh, in our church. And this isn't a big guilt trip, but a moment for us to reflect and realise that when we come around the Lord's Supper... We are challenged about who we are. Are we reflecting as a community the shalom and wholeness that God intended in our relationships with each other, in our relations with the wider world, in relationship with our brother and sisters in other churches? After I came back from the Philippines when I first started working for Baptist World Aid about 12 years ago, I saw Christians sitting in a home with a blue tarp around four, sort of, they weren't even, they were just... Sticks and branches that made the corner of the house with three or four kids. That was their home. They fed us with chicken and food that would have been a huge delicacy for them. They would have been offended if we hadn't eaten it. I came home, and on the basis of this passage, I just couldn't take communion for a month or two until I reconciled in my own heart what am I doing to be generous to the poor? What am I doing to to, to fund Christians who are helping these people come out of their poverty. And then once I'd worked through in my heart what God was saying to me, then I was able to receive communion again. But as we come to receive communion this morning, in the middle of this rebuke, Jesus, uh, Paul said, for I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. The new covenant is about the shalom and the kingdom of God breaking into the world as our hearts of stone are changed to a heart of flesh, a heart of love and grace. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As you come this morning, I ask you to reflect on your attitude to others in need emotionally, physically, relationally, spiritually and what God might be saying to you about whatever gifts he's given you. You can even just say hi to someone. That can be so powerful in someone's life. Just to acknowledge them can just bring something of God's kingdom into their sense of being loved and a part of the community. So examine our hearts this morning and reflect on what God may be saying to you as Leona has already challenged us. And as you come to receive uh, the bread, then uh, when we sing our final song after the, we've received communion, if you would like prayer, then there'll be people available at the front uh, to pray pray with you. You may just want someone to pray, please, Lord, let the shalom, the kingdom, the grace, the mercy, the compassion of God break into my heart in a fresh way. Let me pray and then we'll come, you come as you're ready to receive the bread and the cup this morning. Father, we thank you that in Christ you came to bring in your kingdom, kingdom of grace and mercy, kingdom of justice and righteousness, Father. And Lord, we ask that as we focus on the cross this morning, your sacrificial love, Lord, may you speak to us about how we can love others sacrificially, how we can give of ourselves for your kingdom. Lord, that we can give of ourselves that others may know the love and the grace of God. And Lord, may the bread and the cup forever speak to us about not just ourselves and the shalom you bring to our own hearts, but Lord, that it will forever speak to us about who we should be as a church and also how you want us to be in the world and speak up about things in the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.